Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Well, listen, we're going to have a little family meeting here, but uh, I have some things for you. I have some, it, all in the name of freedom. Everybody say freedom. You know, freedom, we're celebrating freedom this weekend with Memorial Day weekend. So I thought it would be good to, to highlight the journey of freedom in our personal life. Do you know that there's different levels of freedom? And there's, uh, we, only stick, we only think freedom is either deliverance from de- demonic power, which definitely that's freedom. But we only think freedom is either that or, uh, you know, getting saved, which is definitely that. And we're going to hit on that. But I want to talk about today the, the four progressions of or phases of freedom from the book of Exodus. Although I'm not going to probably go to the book of Exodus. It's funny, right? But I'm going to take principles from the book of Exodus, how Moses, how God took Moses and the children of Israel from Egypt to the Red Sea, to the wilderness, and into the promised land. And I'm giving you a foreshadow because, hey, those are the phases or, or, or progression. Everybody say progression. In our personal life. Now, what I, what I, I like to do prophetic preaching every now and then. In other words... Prophetic preaching is not, thus saith the Lord, the Lord is saying this now. No, it's prophetic preaching is applying scripture prophetically into your life now. So I'm going to take what happened over 2,000 years ago in the story of the Exodus and how the, each phase represents a phase and a journey in our life to have freedom. Come on, say amen. I said this before, but I'm going to say it again because there's a lot of new people. Deliverance. Uh, it's not freedom. It's a precursor to freedom. So what is deliverance? Deliverance is the temporary removal of oppression. Everybody say temporary. Okay. But freedom is the permanent removal of, of oppression. Amen. Because the Bible does not say whom the son delivers is delivered indeed. He says whom the son sets free is free indeed. Amen. So with that, I want you to see, now, now I'm going to go to the book of Acts chapter 7 because in the book of Acts chapter 7, it actually uh, summarizes the book of Exodus in a couple of verses. Because if, if not, we would have to read like 30 chapters of Exodus to get the whole story. So I, we summed it up by, thank God that Stephen, the martyr, actually summed up the story of Exodus to the, to the religious leaders as he's trying to make a point. He sums up the journey. Everybody say a journey. Because if you're going to get anything today, you're going to have to realize what phase in this journey called life are you in regards to freedom. Now, when I say freedom, you have to understand it's freedom from anything that's holding you back. It, does, it could be drugs. It could be overeating. It could be anxiety. It could be anger. It could be offense. It, whatever we have the propensity, it could be an addiction. Not, now, when I mean addiction, it's not just drugs. I'm not excluding that. But it could be lust. It could be pornography. Whatever is hindering you, I'm here to tell you, and deep down inside, you know this as well, you're not happy if you stay in those areas. Come on. That was two amens. Freedom will get you your heart pure. And here's a little clue before I read the scripture. Your freedom level will, will affect your worship level. Your freedom level will affect every area of your life. Do you know that the degree that you are free in your spirit, soul, and mind will be the degree that you're even joyful and happy? If you're, if you're constantly... We think freedom is foaming at the mouth and people coming out, you know, come out and people coming out the mouth. No, freedom is the fact, freedom is a place where, where maybe there's areas in our lives that our mind are held captive on something. 
or watch this, our emotions are held captive and we're stuck in this reality emotionally that we can't progress forward. God's desire is for you to progress in freedom. Can I hear an amen? Freedom is so liberating. Amen. So let's look at Acts chapter 7. We're going to have a little family meeting today, which I like. It's a big family meeting today. I was expecting a smaller family meeting. <laughs> All right, Acts chapter 7. Um, I, did, I prepared. I did my notes. Even though we knew there's a lot of people going away, we're going to give you slides, and we're going to give you some real good filet mignon today, okay? So Acts chapter 7, verse uh, 30 says this. In the NLT, now some of you guys uh, have, if your tablets or your phone, you could follow with the NLT version. If you don't have an NLT version, you're just up on the screen. Here it goes. 40 years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a, burning, of a burning bush. We all know the story. Moses saw it, and he was amazed at the sight. As he went to, to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Moses. Moses then shook with terror and did not dare to look. Verse 33. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. For you are standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Everybody say Egypt. There's a little foreshadow there. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. Verse 35. A couple more verses. Then God sent back, listen, the same man, Moses, to his people that previously rejected him when they demanded, who made you ruler and king and judge over us? Let me pause. If you don't remember the story, Moses saw a man that, he, uh, that was beating down, an a, a Egyptian man that was beating down a Hebrew man. And so he uh, was infuriated at that moment, and he actually overthrew the Egyptian person and killed him. And so one day he's with his brethren, and he's trying to separate a fight with, his, with, with the children of Israel. And one of the people said, hey, who made you ruler and judge over us? We knew. Are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian? And the Bible says that the Mos Moses said, oh, my God, they found out. They heard about my gangster move back then. Like I killed somebody. And so the Bible says, check this out, just for reference sake, the Bible says that he fled to a foreign country and he lived there for 40 years. Guys, there's hope for you. Let me pause and say there is hope that, that Moses did not get his encounter, his encounter till he was about over 80 years old. There's hope. Don't tell me that, oh, I haven't seen anything in my life. I haven't seen. Moses was in a foreign country after he served Egypt 40 years. And then in the 40th year, this flaming bush came. 40 years after, that means, that means he was about 80 years old. Guys, there is no late term to start the, the, the call of God in your life. So, so what? So I'm going to continue. So God sent him back uh, to the man who made, who made you judge and ruler over us. Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. Here's where I'm going to close, and then I'm going to, I'm going to share these points. And by means of many wonders and by miraculous signs, watch this, read it slowly, he led them out of Egypt. If I say Egypt. Through the Red Sea. Say Red Sea. And through the wilderness, say wilderness. I know that's a tough word. It's a curse word in some church. Say wilderness. Watch this. For 40 years. Now, it's implied, it's not in the text, but it's implied that the final destination of the, coming out of Egypt, going through the Red Sea, and then going through the wilderness, the final destination was what? The promised land. 
So today, we're going to, don't put that, we're going to put the first slide up first, but I just want to get all four. Today, we're going to talk about the four phases of, uh, in your journey of freedom through the story of Exodus, and it's going to be the Egypt, is going to be the Red Sea, is going to be the wilderness, and going to be the promised land, and each one of them has a, per, a prophetic symbolism for your life. Can I hear an amen? Because some of us right now, we may be in certain phases, we may be the Egypt phase, and that's not a good phase to be in. All right, so with that said, let's put the first one. Let's put the first phase up there. Now, Egypt is symbolic of the world. This is the first phase, all right? Egypt, come on, can I preach this morning? All right, all right. So Egypt is symbolic of the world. Say the world. Why? Because the Israelites were bound in slavery for 400 years. If you read the Bible, they were bound for, listen, for 400 years. That means generations, many generations were born into the Egyptian way of thinking. I'm not talking about 30-year slavery. I'm talking about, imagine if you, if you were born in this time frame and we were born in America, but we had the ways of Iraq. Uh, like Iraq or Afghanistan was completely dominating the way we think, the way we eat, the way we, we vote, the way we do life. In your mind, hey, we live here. This is the way we do things. This is the way we do things. Even though they were Israelites, 400 years has a way of indoctrinating a culture in some people's lives. See, you could be a Christian and still be carnal and worldly. So the first phase of freedom is talking about Egypt. You got to identify, there's two, two little subcategories of Egypt. Either you have to identify that you're currently in the world and you're trying to get out and be saved because you have no clue what it means to be saved. And obviously God wants you to be saved, right? But then there's getting the world out of you. See, See, God wants to, you to get out of the world, but once he gets you out of the world as Christians, he has a tougher part. He has to get the world out of you. So the first phase of, of your journey to freedom is to identify how much of the world is still in me. Now, wait, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, will have everlasting life. He is not talking about the system there. He's talking about the people and his creation there. But in first, now I know I didn't give you this, Zach, but I'm just flowing with the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Old timers say Holy Ghost. First John chapter 2, I believe, verse 15, I believe. If you could put that up there in the New King James Version. The, 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 um, the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, you know what he says? Do not love the, the what? Okay, for all the things in this world, Egypt, right? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that's a, you see, we, we have to understand, guys. You're either going to have true preaching of the gospel or a watered-down one. The love of the Father is not in him who loves the things of this world. Let's continue because you're looking at me like you're going to shoot me or something. (laughs) I'm just joking. I'm joking. Keep going. Verse 16, I believe. It wasn't in there. For all that is in the world, here's what's in the world. Are you ready? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father. It's not of the Father. Is of the world, 
right? So, so, so watch this. So watch this. Oh, oh, wait. I think that, uh, go to verse 17. And the world is passing away and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of, the, of God abides forever. All right. So, so you have to understand that the first phase that you have to recognize in your journey of freedom is where are you in Egypt? Is Egypt still in you or are you still in Egypt? Now, if you're still in Egypt, that's simple. You surrender to the Lord and you want to follow him wholeheartedly. And then the, the ways of the world will not, not be in you because the spirit of God will be in you. All right. But as Christians, it's possible, because Paul the Apostle says it, that we could dabble in carnality. And watch this. If we dabble in carnality or the worldly things as Christians, we'll eventually like those things, and it'll be harder to get out of Egypt. We'll eventually like the things. So, the, so watch this. The first enemy to your freedom in Egypt is irresponsibility. Because... Freedom requires your responsibility. It does not happen automatically. Don't make me drop this expensive mic here. Freedom does not happen only when you just give your life to the Lord. Yes, you're free from sin, yet you're free from that. But guess what happens when you get your life to the Lord? Your mind has to be renewed. Your mind doesn't automatically get washed away from all. Your sins gets washed away. Your spirit's regenerated, but you need to renew your mind through the word, not through osmosis. The, the word is not going to come through laying on of hands. If I lay hands on you, the word of God is not going to come in your brain. <laughs> Hebrews, go forth, all of Hebrews, all, all of Matthew, go now. No. What happens is we can still be bound in the Egypt, watch this, the, the, the spiritual Egypt in our mentality, do you realize that the children of Israel were enslaved so long there that they began to develop habits of Egypt? They began to develop the culture of Egypt even though they were Israelites and people of God. Why? Because for 400 years, that culture was invading their everyday life. So you have to realize that even though you're part of this world, you're not of this world. You're just passing through. You're an alien. The Bible says you're an alien. That's what the sojourner is. You're just an alien passing through. Everyone's looking for the alien, but you're the alien. We need to start looking like people that came from heaven instead of people that are waiting to go to heaven. Because you're not of this world. You're not of this world, according to Scripture. If you're born again, you have an instant world change. Right? And so this is, what, this is good preaching this morning. So freedom starts by the way you think in, in Egypt. How do you think about spiritual Egypt right now? Do you love it? Do you crave it? Do you want it? Or do you realize it's hurting God's heart and it's severing you, your relationship with God because it's very addictive and pleasurous, right? Now, now anger, anger may not be pleasurous to you, but it feels good to your flesh. And so why do I say this? Because the truth of the matter is that everyone has to come to a place in their life that they identify that they need to get out of Egypt. Or that a little bit of Egypt has entered in, and it's okay, but you just have to deal with it. If Egypt has entered in, then allow the Lord to, lead, to, to, to suck Egypt out of you, the world out of you. Remember, God had a greater challenge when he took the people out of Egypt because Egypt was still in them. 
and I'm, I'm going ahead of myself. And that's why there was a need for the progression because God, here's what I find out in our journey. God does not take shortcuts. Sometimes we wish he takes shortcuts. He, he doesn't take shortcuts. And it's not, uh, this is not in your notes, but as I was reading this story the other day, because I, I like to read the whole story when I, get, when I prepare a sermon. And the Bible says that even when they were leaving Egypt to go to the Red Sea, I, 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 I challenge you to look this up, right, if you don't believe me. The Bible says he did not take them directly to this. He, he turned them in a round, the Bible says, a roundabout way so they could prepare them for battle. God has a way of leading you into something when it doesn't feel good sometimes. Why? Because he's preparing us. Say amen. And so Egypt is the worldly tendencies and desires, and we have to come to an agreement with where we're at in regards to Egypt. So the first phase of your journey to freedom is the Egypt phase. Say Egypt. Now, I don't want to harp on this too long, but if you are, have opened the doors in your life through your desires to want to stay in this place, in this worldly pattern, I want to give you something that, that is shocking because it's sad, watch this, you're going to shout, that when Christians look like the world more than the world like, looks like the world. It's sad when Christians look more like the world than the world looks like the world. Do you know that some people in the world are kinder and, and sweeter in their words than some Christians who have the spirit-filled, tongue-talking, falling down, haraba shaba? Why? But that, but that is not the way that it should be. The way that it should be is that if we have worldliness in us, please hear me now, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. God doesn't want you to be condemned, but if if you're in a worldly lifestyle as a Christian, welcome conviction. And watch, don't be defensive when the Lord starts calling you out through people. Yeah, his spirit will do it. But sometimes loving brothers and sisters say, hey, bro, what are you doing watching that stuff? That's soft porn. Why are you... I'm going to go to this side right here. This side. Again, well, you're judging me. No, I'm holding you accountable because you're my brother. And, I don't, and whatever, listen, your eyes and your ears are the gateway to your soul. They're gateways. Guard your eyes. Woo! Guard your ears from worldliness. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we have to live in a bubble. No. But what I am saying, don't let it settle in your heart until it becomes a desire. Because all of us, we're exposed to worldly things. It's what you allow in. And then the second phase is, I start liking that. Right? You know, the Bible says a dog will return back to its own vomit. (laughs) A dog vomits. That's yucky. That's stinky. And, a, and, 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 and in a dog's life, he's kind of like looking stuff, he's not satisfied. And they actually convince themselves that the junk that came out of their belly tastes good. You're looking at me funny, but we do that all the time with our spiritual appetite. We do that by what we watch. We do that by what, who we hang out with. We do that by what we listen to. Again, I'm not trying to be religious. I'm just trying to live. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get us to live holy. And I can't see anybody when I'm without my glasses. Just, maybe that's good because I don't see your faces when I'm preaching. At me. I just see like blurry. <laughs> Listen to me. Jesus never acted like the world to reach the world. 
Jesus, Jesus never said, man, you know what? Let me reach that guy who's smoking a blunt. Let me smoke a blunt with him. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just telling you the truth. Like, I'm, I'm going to curse with him so, so he, he could come to the kingdom. He's the most attractive person in this universe. He was holy, and yet sinners were attracted to him. Don't tell me that you have to be like the world to reach the world. Jesus was the perfection of holiness, the perfection of, of holding people accountable to repentance, and that was actually attractive in his day. Could you imagine Jesus standing there? You put your hypocrites and snakes. Who warned you? And, and everyone was like, man, I love this about this guy. Like, and he gets up and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Man, we got to, there's something about him. You know, the Bible says, if you read the scriptures, when, they're, when they were about to crucify him, one of the, the, the people, I think the, the high priest, they said, no one ever spoke like this man. He goes, you don't understand, guys. There's something about him. No one ever spoke like him. I've never seen anybody like him. He's the most magnetic force in the universe, yet he did not act like the world to reach the world. The world was attracted to holiness. Don't, don't believe the lie, my friends, that if you, leave, that you live holy, you're missing out on good stuff. Don't believe the lie that if you're trying to live a holy life, that you're going to be irrelevant. Listen, we've become so relevant to the culture that we become irrelevant to the kingdom. You want to be relevant to the culture or do you want to be relevant to the kingdom? I have news for you. You can't do both. So if you want to be relevant to the culture, you have become irrelevant to the kingdom. But when you're relevant to the kingdom, let me tell you something. Eventually, people will want what you have. Say Egypt. Now, I want to give you another scripture. You're enjoying this? I could tell. Egypt's, Egypt is, is symbolic of the worldly lifestyle. Look at what the Lord says in James chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, 1 through 4. Now, now I, I want to preface this. When I read the scriptures, don't get mad at me. <laughs> because, no, 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 there's, a, there's, there's some strong scriptures that sometimes even me, when I'm reading, I'm like, I don't want to say that, Lord. But thank God I didn't write the Bible, so I'm just going to read it. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, NLT. I believe, is it NLT, Zach? Did I give you that? Did I say NLT? Okay. Look at this. And even when you ask, you don't get it, James says, because your motives are all wrong. Boy, I could preach on that for a, for a, for a minute. You're asking for something, but you're not getting it. Is God actually trying to be merciful to you? Lord, I want that one to be my wife. I want that one to be my husband. God doesn't answer you. He God is like, I know what's good for you. If you get that person, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> Look, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. Or I, I want to be on the, on the worship team because I want to be seen and I want to I I make sure that I am somebody. No, you want only what gives you pleasure. See, this is the hard part. This is the hard part. Lord, keep, watch this. Oh, I don't want to say this. but You adulterers. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying that's what he said. You adulterers, don't you realize, watch this, that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Not if you're living a worldly lifestyle. I say it again. If you want to be friends with the world, you make yourself an enemy, not a friend, not a friend, not a friend. 
you make yourself an enemy of God. See, I'm smiling while I'm preaching to you. If you want to be a friend of the world, Egypt lifestyle, you make yourself an enemy of God. Does he not love the world? Yes. But he is, guys, he is tired of his church looking like something different. If fellas, if you had, I'm going to talk to the fellas. If you prepared and you're getting married and you're married day and you're waiting for your beautiful wife to come down, your bride to come down, and she's coming all drunk and she's coming all, her dress is all messed up, she has holes in it, and, and, and you know, and yeah, you still love her, but you'll be very disappointed because that's not the bride that you thought in your head you were going to marry. He's coming back for a spotless bride, not for a perfect bride, not for a perfect bride, but a bride that says, Jesus, I have sinned. Cleanse me. And God says, it's okay. I'll pick you up. It's okay. You sin. I'll pick you up. But at least, that, at least confess before me that you've fallen short, and I'll cleanse you. So, so watch this. So, so I'm going to my next point. Every, every journey out of Egypt will always lead you to a last-ditch effort by the enemy to stay in Egypt. And it's called the Red Sea moment. Look at the next one. Look at the next night. The, the, the Red Sea moment is the place of decision. The Red Sea, every one of us in our journey to freedom out of Egypt will face what seems to be insurmountable circumstances to try to get you not to leave Egypt. Do you realize that the Red Sea posed itself as a last-ditch effort to keep the children of Israel from crossing into the area where they were? And it was an effort by the enemy, watch this, to bring fear, to bring loneliness, to bring complaining about wanting to leave the Egyptian lifestyle and wanting to go back. The Bible says that they were so scared of the enemy that while all those millions of Israelites were in the Red Sea, before Moses did the instruction of parting the Red Sea, they said, let us go back to Egypt because we would have died, we would have been better there. They were so afraid of the enemy. Where's Egypt? What, what is the Red Sea? Watch this. The Red Sea is the place of decision where you face your fears, whether you're going to go all out or all in, or whether you're going to stay in Egypt or you're going to take a risk and step forward into freedom. Watch this. Because true freedom will always cost you something. True freedom will always cost you. So you say, Pastor George, what does it cost me? Is it going to cost you some of your pleasures that you like? I'm not talking about spending or, you know, what you like, burgers. I'm not talking about that. Or croquetas. I love croquetas. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is it's going to cost you something to let go of. That, watch this, is pleasing to your flesh. Anger is pleasing to your flesh. Lust is pleasing to your flesh. Offense is pleasing to your flesh. Yeah. Because the enemy will disguise offense by making it all about you. And how you got offended, and he masks true, um, the true effect of offense by highlighting what was wrong to you and not seeing what's happening in your heart. Let me tell you something about lust. Let me tell you something about anger. Let me tell you something about offense. It's not a location problem. It's a heart problem. It will ne- you could go, to, listen, you could go 
to another church in another state to try to escape drama, and that drama will follow you there. That addiction will follow you there. That, that, that offense, that lust will follow you there. Why? Because there's never been a location problem. It's a heart problem. So that's why God had to go to the Red Sea, watch this, I'm going to prelude, because he was trying to show the people what's really in their heart. When they face an insurmountable situation in their life that threatens them from going to the next phase of freedom. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? Look at this. The Red Sea is a place of decision. Say decision. It's the place where you face your fears and your doubts in order to progress to the next phase of freedom. And I wrote this down. The, the, the Red Sea phase in your life, watch this, is the phase and the place of, of endurance and not giving up. That's where the Lord, the Red Sea moment to some of you, you, some of you are in a Red Sea moment right now. You know that the world is not for you, but when you decided, watch this, when you decided, I want to prophesy to some of you, when you decided to leave the world and, or, or decided to live right for God, all hell is breaking loose in your homes. Now your parents are persecuting you. Oh, you, you're a Christian now, or, you're, or, you're, or your friends are persecuting you, and, and all hell is breaking loose, and you're in a Red Sea moment, and you don't know what to do. You're, you're, you're this insurmountable situation. Guys, let's just be real. About three or so million Jews were coming into that place, and they finally went, they went out of Egypt. The Bible says that the Lord hardened Egypt, the Pharaoh's heart again on purpose to show his glory. To show his, it's always to show his glory. Right? And he said, okay, while they're going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harden his heart again. After, after he said, I'll let you go. He said, 600 chariots, 600 chariots, and follow the people of Israel. So watch, they're in the Red Sea. They have no, I mean, I'm talking about this insurmountable, huge sea. There's, it's impossible. For, it's, they're a dead end. And then the Egyptians all of a sudden are, are running behind them. What do you do? A last-ditch effort to make you not go into freedom, there is a Red Sea moment. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 7 and what, how the children of Israel responded. Are you getting something? Yes. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 39, and the NLT verse four, uh, through 41. This is the second phase. Again, it's in Acts. Our ancestors, but, but, our ancestors, watch this, refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. Look at this. They told Aaron, make us gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of this Moses. Now, he's actually fast-forwarding past now the Red Sea. All right? Now, look at this. Keep going. So they made an idol shaped with a calf, and they sacrificed and celebrated this thing they had made. Okay. We all know that. We all know that story. All right? What happens in the Red Sea moment is that there's a place, a critical place in your life where you have to decide enough is enough. Where you have to decide in your life, I'm not going to be this one foot in, one foot out Christian any longer. Oh, come on. I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't like the way my heart feels when I compromise. I don't like the way my heart feels. Listen, in the Red Sea moment is a decision to walk by faith and not by sight not by what you see and so in your journey of freedom we have to get past our feelings or else we never be free in our spirit soul and mind because you know how many times i show up here and i don't feel a thing as a matter of fact i feel the opposite i feel pain physical pain amen 
But you know what? I come because I, I see a Red Sea moment, and I said, this doesn't matter. Sometime soon, God is going to part that Red Sea for me. If I, if I still stay obedient. You know what the Bible says? After all these complaints, or, by the way, this is for free. This is not my notes. In the Red Sea, you will start really start where you see you're complaining, where your heart is really at. In the wilderness, which is the next phase, you really start getting exposed about your, what your heart is at. Right? And so you, you face this Red Sea, but the Bible says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, it's funny because not even Moses knew what to do. If you read the scriptures, he's like, what do we do now, Lord? Look at these people. They're about to kill me. He goes, stop it. What's in your hand? Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hands and the, the sea, guys. I, I know it sounds like a cartoon and we've read it for centuries and we're like, yeah, the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? Do you realize what kind of supernatural force needs to happen for us to go to the sea right now? And the entire sea, the Bible says, the east wind took it, and there was a wall on the left and the right as high as you could see. Because, watch this, they, and they walked on dry ground. It, it wasn't like residue wetness. Like it's, it, God sucked everything up to get them out. Let me just pause and say this. There's always an avenue for your deliverance. There's always a way out to your freedom. They said, if you think this is impossible, watch this. I'm going to split the sea. He split the sea so he, we could walk right through it. Perfect love drowns out fear. They walked on ground. Watch this. And so this first phase, the Red Sea, is the last potential threat to get you to the progression of freedom. It's a progression. Say progression. What are some of your Red Seas this morning? I'm going to name a few, but you could fill in the blanks yourself. Maybe persecution is a Red Sea. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord. You're exiting out of a worldly Egypt lifestyle, and now you're getting persecuted by it. But guess what? It's part of the game. You say, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. The Bible in Timothy says, those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Now, some persecution in other parts of the world is actual physical torture. Thank God, some of us will probably, probably not, not go through that. But you know what other persecution is? Verbal persecution. When I first got saved, I was verbally persecuted by my most dear family members, and it pierced my heart. Don't say, don't say uh, 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 sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. That's a lie. I'd rather you throw a rock on my head and, I, and I'd probably pass out, but I'll probably get healed two weeks later. Words take lifetimes to heal sometimes. So persecution, maybe that's your Red Sea. How about this? I wrote this down. How about acceptance of people? Maybe that's your Red Sea. Maybe you, you're not going to the next level because you want to please people. And you're not willing to leave people behind because you're, not, you're afraid of being made fun of. Or you're made f uh, afraid of being talked about. How about fear of, of commitment? Fear of finances? What is your Red Sea this morning that's stopping you from going onto your next level of freedom? But here's the point I'm trying to make. If you don't cross the Red Sea, you're going to stay with the army of the enemy. And you're going to be stay stuck. You have to progress. We all go from glory to glory. Here, here's my point. Here's my, before I go to the third point, many Christians are satisfied of exiting Egypt, and that's all they do. 
they, they just get saved, and they, they, they have salvation as fire insurance. Well, you know what? I said this prayer. I knew it was wrong. God forgave me. Whew. Okay, I'm saved now. Let's just coast by, and let's just keep on indulging in anything that we want to do. And the whole, the whole time, your heart and your mind is being infiltrated by what you allow in. So you have to make a decision. Do I stay in the Red Sea and have fun? Worldly fun? Or can I really have fun? Really have fun and cross the Red Sea and see the glory that awaits me on the other side. Come on. The freedom that awaits me to the other side. Can I hear an amen? And so uh, freedom costs us something. Can I hear an amen? So the third one. All right. I'm almost done. I have two more. The third journey in our freedom phase, now this is where I'm going to get a little deep here, is the wilderness phase. And the wilderness phase is the place of preparation. It's the place of preparation. Are you ready for this? You're going to love me, all right? I hope you do. It's the place of purging. It's a place of pruning. The wilderness phase is the phase that you have no feelings attached to it because in the wilderness, the real wilderness, it's hot, it's dry, it's thirsty, and you get cranky, and you get miserable, and you get irritable. Come on, how many been in the wilderness? The wilderness, I have an announcement, is not a, the wilderness is not a, an abandonment phase. The, the wilderness is not a punishment phase, it's a preparation phase to get all of the stuff out of you. But most importantly, it's a mirror stage where God shows you, you. I heard years ago a, a revivalist say, true revival begins when God introduces you to you. True revival begins when you realize, man, there are some anger issues up in here. Man, there are some lust issues up in here. And that's not because God is condemning you. God is saying, I love you so much that I'm actually going to use the wilderness to expose it because you think there's nothing wrong with you. But now, when you're in the wilderness, everything that's heated and stayed up in there is going to rise to the surface. Do you know that all the junk rises up in the surface through heat? So God uses heat in the wilderness to make sure all the stuff that you've never let out your mouth start coming out. I remember years ago, I said this before, I remember when I first got married and it's all lovey-dovey, you know, when you get married, oh, like, like I will show you the world. Da, 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 da. You know, and you're just like, oh, you know, and all this stuff and you're lovey-dovey, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, two years later, you're like, I'm like angry and I'm like, I don't want this. And I'm like, I, what happened to her? I should have married her. And, I, and we, me and my wife, we got in, a, in an argument. I remember she's Puerto Rican, so she's really feisty and I'm Cuban, so it was like a bomb exploding in there. And in our, in our, in our second year of marriage, like, I, like, I shut the door off. I said this before. I shut the door and I locked it and she's like, fine. And she took the breaker and she turned the breaker off. So we were like, completely, I'm like... I couldn't even see. So I'm thinking, like, I'm getting back at her because I'm locking the door. And she's like, fine, I'll, I'll put the breaker off. No, no AC, no, no, no lights. And, and I was locked. And she forced me to come out of the bathroom. Why do I say that? Because I looked in the mirror. No lie, no lie, guys. I'm, I, I literally, I looked in the mirror because there was a pattern that I started seeing in my life that was um, going on a lot. And so you, we're not dumb. We, we know the patterns that we go through. We know our body. We know ourselves. And I look in the mirror and I go, what's wrong with you? <laughs> God is my witness. He knows. I go, I go, what's wrong with you, George? And I looked in the mirror. I go, what's wrong? 
You're not angry. Why? Because I, I was like, why, why am I feeling so angry? This is not what I, I'm born again. I'm a pastor. This is years ago. What is going on? What's wrong with you? And I heard the voice of the Lord. I'm telling you, but it wasn't audible, but I heard the voice of the Lord so strong. You know what he said? He goes, son, it's always been in you, but I'm allowing the wilderness to let you see it. I'm allowing this wilderness season to let you know what was deep down inside of you all the whole time. You say, where is that in scripture? I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's not, <laughs> I didn't give it to you, I don't think, Zach, but Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3 in the New King James. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Everybody say wilderness. Everybody say wilderness. It's the place of preparation and purging, but it doesn't feel good but it's so necessary for your end result. Let me tell you something. No one likes the gym, but you like the results. Come on, Xavier. He's in my book. No one likes the gym, but everyone likes the results. No one likes dieting, but you like it when you lost 35 pounds, don't you? But it's painful. It's pruning. It's preparation for sustained maturity. Woo! Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look at what it says. And you shall remember the Lord your God who led you all these 40 years. Oh, my God. 40 years. Pause. Historians say that it would have taken 11 to 13 days if they had a compass to go from the wilderness to the promised land. And they went for 40 years. You know why? I'm going to give you a hint. Because they never addressed what was truly in their heart that God was trying to highlight. And God says, you're going to go back around again until you get it right. Listen, the wilderness is a class, and the professor is the Lord. And he's, and he's trying to give you tests to see if you would live by feelings or by the word of God. Watch this. I'm going to prove it to you. You shall remember the Lord your God who led you all these 40 years in the what? In the what? To humble you and to test you so that you would know what was in your heart. So that you would know what was in your heart. He already knew what was in their heart. He wanted them to see what was in their heart. That's why when I said, what's wrong with you? God said, this always been you. I'm allowing the wilderness to get this out of you. Watch this. Because I have a plan for you, son. I have a calling for you, son. You, one day you're going to be a pastor. I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. One, one, one day you're going to be a pastor. I'm going to trust you with people. And this has to be dealt with now. Because if it's not dealt with now, you're going to hurt the people. So in my second year of marriage, he, he took me through the wilderness. See, when you first get saved, you just say Jesus and you start crying. Jesus. That's so good. You pray something and immediately the next day, God answers it. Why? Because of how many are parents in here? How many are parents? Do you pay, come on, be honest. Do you pay more attention to your kid when they're smaller at, at six months old than versus when they're 17 years old? Absolutely, yes. Does it mean you love them more? It means you know that they can't fend for themselves, so they require more attention. So when you're a baby, you say, Jesus, and God says, you're a baby. You, you just need milk here. Oh, God, God is so real. So real. I just said, Jesus, and he's in my room. I had a dream about Jesus. And he's like, yep, you're a baby. So I got, here you go. Wah. Well, here, here, you're crying. Here you go. Here you go. Okay. Oh, you start, start crying. Oh, God is with me. All of a sudden, you start growing up. And you say, Jesus. He's not there. 
And you start praying for something, and he doesn't answer right away. You know why? Because by this time, he's given you a fork and a knife, and he wants you to cut your own steak. He's like, you've been, you've been so used to me giving you everything that it's time to grow up. The wilderness is spiritual fast-forward motion of growing up 101. You want to grow in the Lord? Welcome to the wilderness. It's a beautiful place because it brings you humility. He humbled you to test you to see what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. In other words, I want to see if you love me for who I am instead of what I give you. Woo! In the wilderness, I want to see if you truly obey me because you love me. When you don't feel a thing, when you were a baby, you felt something, and I was right there. But in the wilderness, when you say Jesus and you're not there, I want to see if you still follow me because of who I am, not because of what I give you or what you feel. And you should, watch this, to see, he, to watch, it's, it's in the Bible. It, I, I took you through the wilderness to see if you would keep my commandments or not. Watch the next verse. Are you ready? It's going to prove it. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna. Time out. He gave him, they gave, they, he gave them food. See, God will, I want to shout now. God will give you what you need, not what you greed. And because you don't get what you greed for, you miss out on what he gives you that you need. They were hungry, and they gave God. Could you imagine? I'm hungry, God. And God answers you with man, and you're like, but Lord, where's the steak and the potatoes and the corn, beef, hash, and the croquetas and aguacate? Those Spanish people, not Spanish people, that's avocados, and I don't even know how to say croquetas in English, but... Crockets, I don't know. <laughs> so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, <laughs> which you did not know, or did your fathers know? Watch this. He fed you. Everybody, he said he fed. Say it loud. Say he fed. One more time. He fed. They weren't without food. He fed. Watch this. He fed you that, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but, but man lives by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. In the wilderness, God will teach you to be obedient to his word, not by feelings. Not by the, the, not by the things you necessarily, watch this, want but by what you need. Do you realize that they were hungry and he provided for them and they were not satisfied? Because they were greeting for something else and then they got, watch this, Here, here's, here's, the, here's one of the goals of the wilderness. You will see your heart complaining. The wilderness is where God exposes idolatry. He exposes complaining. But are you ready to shout? Are you ready to shout? It's in the wilderness not only the place, but I'm going to show you in Scripture. The wilderness is a place of encounter and being filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, oh, come on, Pastor George. That, that, where is that in the Bible? Where is it specifically that the wilderness is a place of encounter and a place where you get filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked again. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And believers too, and then you fast forward in the NLT. Look at what, just listen, Jesus was not... Uh, Jesus did not rebuke the wilderness because he was led by the Spirit. I believe sometimes when in our road to freedom, we're rebuking what God is putting us into. 
Jesus could have done like most Christians. I rebuke this hot season in my life. I rebuke this lonely season, this pruning season. It doesn't feel good. This is not God because it doesn't feel good, so it must not be God. Let me just continue. It doesn't feel good, so it must not be God. It does not make God because it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good, so it's not God. And the Lord would say to Jesus, it doesn't say this, but I can imagine the Lord saying, well, it's not, it's not the devil. He didn't say this, but to someone, it's not the devil leading you here. I'm leading you here. <laughs> the Bible says the Holy Spirit, watch this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit, not by the devil, to the wilderness. Why? Because it's a place of preparation. Wait, the Son of God went to the wilderness because he was led there. You know that Hebrews 5 verse 8, I believe it's Hebrews 5 verse 8, said Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Jesus learned. Wait, 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 time out. The Son of God can learn something? How can he learn? He's Almighty God. Jesus said he was 100% man. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. I'm wondering if the things you're suffering for is actually setting you up for greater obedience in your life. That was a, that was a good... That's a birthday card, so whoever, there it is, that's a birthday card. I have to give it to somebody. Is it possible that you're going through the, through the wilderness because he actually really loves you? Not because he's abandoned you, because he wants you to take you from the Red Sea and from Egypt into the promised land, but the wilderness is a sign of preparation. Look, look what it says. Look what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 2. Look, it says, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days, Jesus ate nothing at that time and became very hungry. Now, you fast forward. You know the whole story. He got tempted by the devil three times, right? He was hungry. He was miserable. Let's be honest. He was miserable in the flesh. Look at the byproduct of the wilderness. Are you ready? Are you ready? This is where the place of encounter happens. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He was led by the Holy Spirit when he came in. Now he's filled with the Holy Spirit when he came out. Filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. You know when that happened? Right after the wilderness experience where Satan tempted, if you're the son of God, turn these uh, breads to stone. If you're the son of God, fall off this cliff and the angel will catch you. If you're the son of God, worship me. And all three times Jesus said, no. The last time he said, man should not live by bread alone, but every uh, word that receives out of the mouth of God. He says, get behind me. And the Bible says, and Satan left for an opportune time. He's like, I can't budge this guy. I can't mess with this guy. I'm going to leave. Right after the wilderness testing, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. I feel this from the Lord. The wilderness, if you yield properly to it, is a place where God trusts you with ministry. Trusts you with business. It's through the wilderness because, now watch this, I'm going to say something very powerful. God could have taken the Israelites from the Red Sea straight into the promised land, but on purpose he did not take them because he knew that there are some things that were still in their heart. Do you know that if you take a position prematurely, it could actually ruin a lot of things? God, he's not dumb. He knows this compass. He's not, he didn't say, well, I don't know the way. He says, I know the way. There's 11, if, if you go this way, it'll take 11 days. But you know what God said in his heart? He said, 11 days is not enough to get all that junk out of them. They have, watch, they have 400 years of Egypt in them. 
I have to, watch this. I'm going to wait. I'm going to get them to the wilderness and see how they respond. And sure enough, just a couple months in the wilderness, Moses went up to get the, tab, to, to get the tablets. And they said, hey, I don't know what's going on with this guy Moses, but he's, he's probably not coming back. There's a lesson here. Let's make an idol for ourselves and then say that is the one who delivered us from. How, how demented do you, can you be if you make something out of your hands and then convince yourself that that what you made is, what, is the power that got you out of through the Red Sea? Here's a little prophetic lesson to you. Are you ready? Are you ready? When God doesn't answer in the timetable that you want him to, idolatry can be birthed in your heart. You hear what I just said? When God takes his time, when he takes his time and you're praying and you're praying and nothing happens, idolatry and your own desires for that answer begins to surface from your heart. That's exactly what happened in the children of Israel. The, the waiting with no answers produced idolatry. It's called, let's try to help God out in this waiting process. How many Christians have tried to help God out? During the waiting process, I have. I, I repent later. You know what? Maybe, maybe God just wants me to just go ahead and. No, God wants to deal with your heart and deal with your mind, deal with your attitude. Amen. Thank you for that one. Yes. So, worship team, come up. Oh, this is so good. Are you guys enjoying this? I'm going to give you the last one in just a second, but I want to just share this. The wilderness. The wilderness. It's hard to accept because it doesn't feel good. And he uses the wilderness to get things out of us. It's a dry season. It's a learning season. It's a preparation season. Before I go to the fourth one, I want to say this. Wow, I feel the Holy Spirit here. The wilderness is a spiritual boot camp for you to trust and obey God. Hear what I'm saying. The wilderness is a spiritual boot camp to increase your ability to wait on the Lord. Ooh. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They will not faint. Waiting on the Lord has two connotations. Waiting on the Lord during the wilderness season shapes character. Shapes character. Say character. And you're waiting and you're yielding. And you're waiting and it's an exchange. You're, you're yielding, waiting, trusting, yielding, trusting. And your trust muscle, your spiritual trust muscle is getting stronger without you knowing it. But you know what another term for waiting is? While you're in the wilderness, oh. Waiting is also as a waiter waits on someone who is wanting some food so the waiter comes and says watch this this is the goal of the wilderness if you go to a restaurant you pay for that food and the waiter is your servant in a sense and he says what can I do for you what can I bring for you the waiter doesn't go to if you go to a restaurant today 
The waiter doesn't say, hey, you're going to get shrimp, and that's what you're going to get because I said what you're going to get. You're going to get a burger. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm going to get some, some, some chicken tenders. <laughs> it's you that dictated. The waiter, watch this, to serve. When you wait upon the Lord, you're saying, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? You know what God says? I want a plate of humility, plate of mercy, a little bit of side of love, a little side of joy, and make sure the salad is full of holiness because that's what I want. You know what the waiter does? Yes, sir. Coming right up. Go in the kitchen, and that's where the wilderness is. Get cooked. And out of the kitchen comes holiness, peace, love, mercy. And you say to Jesus, here's what you asked for. I'm waiting on you. Come on. Come on. I'm your waiter. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm not just looking at my, my time clock and just sitting, tapping my feet, waiting on the Lord. Yeah, I'm allowing you to do something, but it's in the heat of the kitchen, of the spiritual kitchen, where I'm cooking up what you want to come out of me. My heart is burning this morning. The last phase, wait, 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 before I go, I want you to quote, I want you to quote this down. I wrote a couple quotes that I thought were powerful, that I wrote. I didn't get it in a book. Just in my meditation time with the Lord, I felt these words. It's not going to be on the screen. Here's a quote for you. The wilderness will prepare me on how to come into my freedom and not just settle for temporary encounters. The wilderness will prepare me on how to come into my freedom and not just settle for temporary encounters. You know what the wilderness Wilderness, you're not going to be satisfied with little encounters. We're encounter addicts, encounter druggies in the, in the spirit realm. The church goes from conference to conference just to get blasted by the Holy Spirit. Wow, we got blasted. Ooh, I went to this conference and I got drunk in the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's an encounter. But God is looking for a lifestyle. Listen, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to write this down. Come on, I want you to write this down. Are you ready? Are you ready? God is more interested in transformation than manifestation. God is interested in transforming you much more than he is manifesting his glory to you. If we become addicts, addicts of just encounters, then if we're not careful, we'll only come to him to get a feeling. We'll only come to him to get an encounter. But God wants to transform us from wanting transformation, which happens in the wilderness, than just manifestation. The charismatic body of Christ is always looking for manifestation. As a matter of fact, we judge, as charismatic, we judge if a service is powerful or not by how many people were yelling and screaming and shouting and falling down on the power rather than if God was there. It could be silent in a service, but the angels of God are worshiping with the saints. And then the fourth one, whoo, glory to God, glory to God. The fourth and last stage of your freedom is a promised land. Say promised land. Say promised land. When you arrive at the promised land, when the children of Israel arrive in the promised land, I'm gonna say something very powerful here. Listen, it's all in the Bible. Do you know that the Bible says that all the generation, every generation died 
except, sorry, died in the wilderness and did not enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. Not even Moses was allowed to go in there in his old age. He says, you're going to see it. All this stuff that you labor, you're, gonna, you, you're not going to enter it, but, but Joshua is. It's the place of sustained freedom and sustained maturity. Listen to this. The promised land is a place where you got to the place of no return. In the promised land, you've said to yourself, I'm never going back. Even though all hell breaks loose, going back is not an option. If, if you've arrived in the promised promised land it doesn't mean that you're going to be without trial it just means you've gotten to a place in your walk with God that going back is not an option it's not an option anymore you're going to a land of milk and honey what the Bible says spiritually it's a place of sustained freedom it's a place where you no longer are unstable unstable up and down in your walk with God it doesn't mean that you don't have weaknesses but it's a place where you say I am grounded and rooted in the love of God and no matter what happens in my family I'm not turning back no matter if I get my answer to my prayer or not Jesus is too real in my life for me to go back it's a place and I'm closing it's a place of stability say stability it's a place of no turning back and here's the last thing I'm going to say because it's so powerful in this final stage are you ready for this? I want everyone to look at me. And this final stage is where your spiritual appetite changes. Watch this. Are you ready to shout with me? When your taste buds change, your appetite and your diet changes. Listen to what I'm about to say. When you force yourself to eat something healthy in the natural and you don't like it, the thing that you used to hate like broccoli and salad and black coffee with no sugar and milk, the more, the first time you do it, your taste buds are saying, whoa, I don't, this is, I'm so used to the sugar and the junk and the, and the fluff and I don't like this, but the more you feed yourself broccoli, the more your taste buds will change to desire broccoli. And then all of a sudden, the more you eat broccoli and spinach and, and vegetables and coffee with no sugar, let's say, or, 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 or milk or whatever it is, the more that your taste buds change. And here's the beautiful part. When your taste buds change, your appetite changes. And when your appetite changes, your spiritual choice of diet changes to healthy from unhealthy. Guess what happens when you're in the promised land? Your spiritual taste buds have gone to a place where they have changed desires and if you're in the promised land and you're still trying to watch movies your taste buds are still attractive to movies for instance that have soft porn on it or you are you watching stuff that have demon laced things on it it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you it just means you have more growing up to do Some people say, why are you harping on things? No, I'm giving you life examples of what it is to live in the promised land. It doesn't mean that you're going to be without. It just means your taste buds change. Your appetites change. Now, I'm going to get a little graphic here, but it's for the Lord. Okay? Do you know the first, uh, you don't want me, do you want me to say this? You sure? Because it's all Bible. I want you to hear it with a pure mind because it's spiritual. You know the first thing that God told Joshua to do when they entered the promised land? I'm going to test you. What's the first thing after 40 years of being in the wilderness and they finally went to the promised land? You know, the, all that they had to have a new generation rise up. 
You know the first thing they did? Circumcise the flesh. Deal with the flesh. He says, do you have a generation that doesn't know my ways and doesn't know my customs because it's been 400 years, but now we're going to start a new day, a new season of maturity, and you're going to circumcise all the males. I mean, all the males. Doesn't matter if they were, if they were kids or not. This, all the ones who were not circumcised, what is that symbolic of? Is when someone is identified as the people of God, is people that have their flesh under control. And that's where maturity happens. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lived in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith, Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. Galatians 5, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, mercy, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But the Bible says the works of the flesh are contrary contrary to the spirit so that you do not do what you want to do my friends in the promised land is where God finally says let your flesh die deal with your flesh and when you deal with your flesh guess what's going to happen the glory of God is going to rise. Your God-given identity is going to rise. And you watch this. You're going to walk in maturity. You're going to walk in victory. You're going to walk in freedom. Come on. How many want to say amen? Stand up. Come on. Stand up. Hallelujah. I need some of my leaders to get this up here. Come on. I feel the Holy Spirit in here. I want you to lift your hands up and say, I want to be on a journey for freedom. Come on. Whatever phase you're in, whether it's in Egypt, whether it's in the, the Red Sea, whether it's in the wilderness, or whether it's in the promised land, God has his people on a journey. Come on. Lift your hands and say, God, take me to the promised land. Come on. Come on. Come on. Whatever I have to do, whatever you have to do in me, come on. Take me to the promised land. Even if I have to go through the wilderness, even have to face the Red Sea, come on. Lift up your hands and begin to cry out to God. Come on. God, I want my freedom. I want my maturity. I want my stability. Come on. Lift it up. Lift it up. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.